0: I am compelling you to live from promise towards the fulfilment of prophecy. I'll give you a release of power that will turn aside chaos where you live. But you must give me back what has always been mine. You must release my people. You must disciple, equip and release both my body and my bride. It was for freedom that Christ died. Therefore I command, let my people go, that they may follow me wholeheartedly. When I began to sort of um, prepare for it, I thought, oh, it's going to be me banging on about parenting again. But I can't help what I'm passionate about. And, you know, seeing people go on with God in their walk, whether they're adults or children, is something that really brings me joy. And when Tim, Pam and myself do the Connect group, the kind of the group that um, people come to if they're interested in joining the church, the most exciting bit is when you hear about how people were saved and how they're going on with God. It's just really exciting. And so particularly that the phrases that stand, stood out for me. Was about us uh, equipping and releasing people. Now this is to leaders. But also it's actually for all of us. You know that those people who are released. Will then go on to live for God wholeheartedly. And those promises that are in the Bible. They will actually experience in their lives. So I'm going to look at what discipling means. What Jesus and what Paul said. And what we believe about what they said, um, how they did it and how we should do it. OK, so what is discipling? In Greek, I thought you might like to know this, discipling is Methetes, which means a follower. It's not a student, but it's someone who adheres, well, not just a student, somebody who adheres completely to the teachings of another. Actually, the word kind of disciple, actually, there were loads of disciples around in ancient times. People used to be uh, disciples of Socrates and Plato. And, you know, Paul talks about uh, in the Bible, he talks about, you know, some of you may be followers of me. Some of you may be followers of Peter or Apollos. Apollos. Um, that was a kind of a widely used phrase. Uh, Jesus had loads of followers. Some stayed with him briefly, like The rich young ruler, you might know, who went up to Jesus and wanted to follow him. But Jesus said, well, you need to give up all your riches. And he went away sad. So some people stayed with him briefly, but others stayed a lot longer, including the 12 who we always associate with the term disciple. I found a brilliant quote from Wikipedia, which is not always a brilliant place to look, but I really liked this quote. It says that discipleship is the deliberate apprenticeship which made the fully formed disciple a living copy of the master. I thought, oh yeah, wouldn't that be great? We want to be fully formed and we want to be a living copy of the master of Jesus. So discipling happens once you've been saved. Once you've decided that you want to turn away from the life that you had, where you were in charge, and you want to repent of all that, and you want to follow God, that's when discipleship takes place. And, of course, the person that we always look to, that you know, the disciple is God. So we spend time with God. We read the Bible. We learn who God is and what he's like, what he thinks is important and what he doesn't think is important. And we look at Jesus and we see what he did and what he said. And we pray and we worship and we listen to the Holy Spirit and learn what his voice is like. And when you're doing stuff with God, you understand what he wants you to do and how he wants you to do it and what you should believe about what you've done. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? But the thing I want to focus on this morning is the other bit of discipleship is when we get influenced by the people around us, those people have been put in our spiritual family in the church. We should do it because actually it's a process of maturing that we all need to do as we're Christians That's what a healthy Christian life should be like, that we start as babies and and we grow up. In Hebrews 5, I haven't got it here, Hebrews 5, verses 12 to 14, Paul talks about the kind of the maturing process being a bit like, you know, when babies are on milk and they gradually get onto solids. And he criticises a few people in the church saying, you know, you're still on baby milk, you should be managing more solid sort of stuff. And actually an adult on baby milk is a ridiculous thing. It's not a good thing, is it? Uh, and we should be maturing like that, being able to take on bigger things. And I was thinking, I wonder what it looks like, an, uh, an adult being on baby milk. And maybe it's because we haven't really grasped fully foundational stuff, like, I don't know, God's love for you, um, you know, come what may. Uh, Tim touched on it, didn't it, about, you know, it's not about following rules, is it? About knowing what, how Jesus sacrificed for us and what that bought for us. Maybe then who has power over your life, who you allow to have power over your life. Maybe who you are. Maybe it's to do with forgiveness. Maybe it's something to do with your thought life, something that's holding you back. It could be any kind of thing really, but it's probably shown by a general lack of progress. You still feel you haven't moved on. And one of the ways then that we can address that not being on grown-up food anymore, is by following people who are further on in our walk than we are. When I first became a a Christian, when I was a student at university, uh, my family were wholly non-Christian and I hadn't got the faintest how to walk the Christian life. I can remember people talking about a prayer meeting and me thinking what an offensive thing that was because I thought the purpose of a prayer meeting was for people to check whether you're praying all right. I thought that they'd be there (laughs) giving you points out of 10. I thought that was an awful thing to do. (laughs) And so, you know, if you haven't been brought up in in the church of God or you don't have Christian family, there's a lot of stuff to learn. You know, you do learn it from the Bible. Of course you do. But there's all sorts of stuff about, you know, forgiving people who are never going to say sorry, uh, how to manage your finances, you know, how to have a quiet time how praying, you know, attitude to going to church, all that kind of stuff, you know, we need to learn and we can learn from each other. And it's a lifelong process. You never get to the point of thinking, I've arrived. And actually, that's, a, that's an exciting thing. It's one of the things I like about teaching is that you're always learning. It's not boring. Jesus said, <clears throat> oh, look, I can move on to my next slide. Oh, done that one already. I did have it. Great Commission, that's what this is called. He said, go into all the earth and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. So it's really clear what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to make disciples and he wants us to go into all the nations, which is really exciting because we don't have to. Hundreds of years ago, you know, missionaries went from this country and loads of other countries Um, you know, to to spread the gospel to all nations. We don't have to. We're sitting right next to all nations. We're breathing the same air as all nations. And they don't have to come over to us, which sometimes, you know, we really feel like we need. They are here amongst us. We are discipling each other. It's exciting. So what does discipling look like? Well, Jesus had lots of followers. And as I said, lots of people described as disciples, but we think about those 12, really, don't we, when we think about discipling? So one of the main things Jesus did was taught, but actually he didn't do big chunks of teaching. They're only like in a handful of bits of the gospel. The main way that he taught was in response to -to day-to-day stuff, you know, conversations, uh, responses to things that he did or the disciples did or didn't do. Um, you know, and when they got stuff wrong, chatting all the time, and I was thinking those big chunks of teaching, maybe they're a bit like Sunday morning preachers, aren't they? Or podcasts if you listen to them, or preachers online and that sort of thing, reading books which I really love to do, and they are good, definitely, and they have their place. But the other thing that Jesus did was spend time. You know, he spent loads and loads of time with his disciples. He went to their houses. He knew their families. Uh, they ate. They seemed to eat an awful lot, actually. So much so that the Pharisees complained that the disciples never seemed to fast. So they must have seen to eat all the time. Which pleased please Jamie and people like that, wouldn't they? <laughs> and he travelled with them everywhere. And he did day-to-day boring stuff, like, you know, when they went fishing, he went with them. So he did, like, the day-to-day stuff. It wasn't a counselling session. It wasn't like a one-to-one, I'm going to sort out your problems. It was day-to-day, day-to-day stuff. And what I really liked as well was also the disciples were real. When you read the Gospels, sometimes they're downright funny. They, you know, the disciples just got stuff wrong and you know, they, were, they just weren't able to do the stuff that he did. And they were ambitious, you know, fighting over who was going to sit next to Jesus. And it, However he dealt with them, he must have dealt with them in such a way that they came back for more. You know, they never went away thinking, oh, I'm annoyed with Jesus. I'm not going to be his friend anymore and walk away. However they made the mistakes, he made it okay, and he inspired them. So when we think about discipling, it must be fun. It, It must have been brilliant to be with Jesus and to see that he saw you make mistakes and that was okay, And you'd be inspired to still be led by him. So discipling involves time. It does involve teaching. It involves fun and faith and inspiring and being inspired. John six sixty eight, which I don't know if I've got up here or not. No, I haven't. Let me go back to them. He said, when uh, loads of um, people who were following Jesus that they left a number of them left because they were obviously getting a bit fed up with some of Jesus' teaching. And Jesus said to Peter in John six sixty eight, he said, "Were well, you going to leave like the rest of them. And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. Amen. And I think, yeah, where, where are we going to go if we don't look at each other? and We don't look at Jesus because we have got here and amongst us people with words to eternal life. And that is such a brilliant resource to have. Paul was a great discipler and wherever he went, he always took people with him. I think he's a really good example for us to think about because actually he sometimes fell out with the people that he was discipling. And so that is really encouraging because, you know, we're not perfect. But actually that didn't daunt Paul. He said on the verses on the uh, screen, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, you ought to follow our example. And then in verse 9, we offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So even though he got stuff wrong, he was confident. And I think he comes across as quite a confident person in the Bible. But even though he got stuff wrong, he knew he carried stuff inside him which was worthy for him to be followed. And that's true of us as well, isn't it? Each of us definitely, definitely carry stuff that people can follow. We can all say, follow me as I follow Christ. So we've looked at what discipling means, why we should do it, what Jesus and Paul said. And so then I was thinking, OK, so how do we disciple nowadays? So we definitely do it in the church. So when I say church, I mean this church and the wider church of, of believers whom we know. Big thing that Jesus talked about was him being the vine. And actually, Rochelle talked about it a couple of weeks ago when she talked about pruning and that sort of thing. And actually, the whole of well, uh, chapter 15, verses 1, 2, 8, and I've just got the end bits there about uh, Jesus talking about him being the vine. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, if, if, if the Gospels had been written in this country, we might have described um, him being an apple tree or something like that. But he doesn't say that we are each individual apple trees. And, and when he's talking about the vine, he doesn't talk about each of us being an individual vine. And maybe he could have said, I'm the soil or something. But he said, no, I'm the vine and you are the branches. We are all part of one vine. We're all connected. OK, so... I was thinking, actually, that's quite tricky in today's value system, where more and more we are doing things to please ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we're reasonably affluent in this country and we can plan things and we can fix things. Uh, Lots of us now can work remotely, can't we, where we're sitting at home, connected to work, but we're in our own little bubble. We can consume stuff. We can shop remotely remotely. We can buy stuff without ever a thought about who's making it, whether they're poor, whether they're slaves. We just buy it and it arrives. We're just not really connected or if we're not careful. And I think it's a little bit in the church as well sometimes. You know, we can follow preachers. You know, we can go on a bit of a counselling session and then come back. We can think we can fix ourselves. But actually, we are all connected to each other and we all affect each other. Whether we are here or not, we, we do. And that's a problem then, isn't it? So Jesus said actually that if we are in the vine and if we are all connected then when we bring forth fruit we bring him glory and we show ourselves to be his disciples and we want to bring him glory don't we? So remaining in the vine then speaks about doing everything from God's strength definitely but being connected with each other. When I was first part of the church, yeah, I definitely got discipled loads, how to be a parent, you know, I'd go around for coffee, uh, married life, family life, budgeting, when you've got next to no money, sleeplessness, all those kind of stuff where you just rub alongside people and see how they do things and just get stronger yourself. The other thing about discipling is that yeah, it needs to be in the church. It needs to be voluntary. Now, I don't know what your Christian life was like back in the day. But again, when I was a student, there was a thing where people used to put you into prayer groups. Where, you know, prayer triplets, three always seemed to be a thing. Uh, or, you know, discipling groups. I remember one occasion in particular where our Christian union were going to divide us into sort of discipling groups. And I said to God, I don't mind who I'm with because I get on with everybody except Sarah Restle. <laughs> And uh, and you know what's going to happen, don't you? So we were put into threes, except the numbers didn't just quite work. One group had to be a two, and that was me and Sarah Restel. <laughs> <laughs> and what was really funny is she thought exactly the same. And uh, we were laughing about it. And it was really good because we got to be really good friends and really help each other. And that was helpful because it just shows you you can be discipled by anybody. But... Actually, it is better if you do it yourself. You're not put into groups. And in this church, we don't put people into groups. We don't tell you what community group you're going to be in. You choose. That means that you have the responsibility. So if you don't have relationships, that's your responsibility. Because, you know, you are free in this church to connect or not to connect. But it's really great when you do. So discipling also then, you can think about targeting because you've got a particular need. You know, you're looking at somebody who's further on in an issue than you, or maybe succeeding in an area that you need breakthrough in. Jamie says that the person who's got the most influence, no, the most faith in the room has the most influence, and they're the people we should be looking out for. Um, I think most of you know that I'm a teacher, and this year I'm teaching year three, they're seven-year-olds. And a couple of weeks ago, we were doing writing. And writing is hard. You have to do spelling, punctuation, grammar. And we were going to be writing over a few days. And the first day, I said to them, right, well, you know, we're going to do a piece of work you're going to be really proud of. And for the children who, you know, really working hard, we're going to go and see Mrs Moore. Uh, She's the deputy. Or we're going to put that writing on our proud-to-be-writers board in our classroom. And the kids were really, really excited Anyway, next day, we were still writing. And the kids' enthusiasm had gone down a little bit because it's blimmin' hard work. And uh, I tried to kind of spur them on by saying, don't forget, some of you are going to go see Mrs. Moore. And I could hear chuntering, of, I'm never going to see Mrs. Moore. (laughs) And I could feel my, oh, no, this is hard work. And then one little lad, Jacob, said, well, I don't know if I'm going to see Mrs. Moore, but I'm going to try really hard. And I went, yes. Gave him a house point, obviously. and Jacob, you're a star. But he had, you know, at that moment, he was the person in the room who had the faith. But actually, he could possibly go to Mrs. Moore. And that's the people that we're looking out for, is the people who have got faith, usually because they've got some success that they can build their faith on. The other thing that we need to do is, when we're looking out for these people, is realise that it isn't just one bit of advice that we're going to go and ask for and then just not bother seeing them again. Because... I mean, I think other cultures are like this, but certainly in the English culture, we need time to be honest with each other. Um, I have a friend, um, well, I have a friend, Joe, but I have another friend called Joe Gardner who I've known for 30 years. And we are honest with each other, but it's taken hasn't taken 30 years. I think we can do it quicker than that. (laughs) But actually, it does take time to be able to speak honestly into each other's lives, to trust and to know each other. So discipling takes time. As well as targeting, I was thinking, actually, the other time that I know I've been discipled is just rubbing along shoulders with people, which is a funny phrase anyway, because you don't really rub shoulders with people, but you know what I mean. It's living alongside, and that's definitely happened in our community group, that I have got discipled by in things I, I didn't really know I needed discipling in. Like, for instance, Esther, we've all learnt from Esther. And I know Jamie's referred to this as well. She has a phrase that so, that where she says, that's not my portion. Because she's heard from God when she knows that something isn't meant for her. Maybe she's got a cold and she knows she's just got to push through it. And she says, that's not my portion. And I'm, in other words, I'm going to press through for God on this because I know he's got better things. Mm-hmm. And we've all got that as a phrase. So esther's actually discipled our whole group and more with that one little phrase, but behind it testimony of life where she has pushed through with God and she's succeeded. You now the whole group has learnt about finances through Gary and the faith, faithfulness that he has learnt with God, and again, you only get that by week in week out, um, rubbing along shoulders with somebody um, book club you know all we 're talking is about books but we're building friendships and discipling as well. Just last week, I had a conversation with Remy and Tracy, and I just love the way that they are just upfront about how they're going to parent. No nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's good, you know, the endospheres are quite quiet and well behaved. So there are times when I stick out a bit. And I really like people like Remy because I can look at her and think, yeah, I can be who God's made me to be. I don't have to be English and polite all the time. (laughs) A terrible thing that would make me. And the other way that I am being discipled is stealthily, undercover. And you'll like this one. You can choose somebody to disciple you and they don't know about it. So I'm going to let you into a secret because she's doing junior church. I am being discipled by Diana Luma and she doesn't know it. (laughs) She is in our community group, so I know her. But I just love the way that she conducts herself on a Sunday morning. I've got a bit of a butterfly brain where I can be worshipping God and then the next minute I'm planning a lesson. And maybe some of you guys are like that as well. You know, and there can be some times a couple of weeks ago struggling, really wanting to worship God, but just finding it hard. And I listen to Diana and I can hear her talking and I can hear her talking to God about his qualities and reminding herself about why she worships him and why he's worthy of praise. And I copy her. She disciples me. I follow her and and then I connect with God. And I don't know her that well. I am going to know her. we were going to meet for coffee a couple of weeks ago, but something got in the way. But she's, I'm going to target her. Because I know that she works full time. She's got three children. I think she has her mum living with her. She must have stuff going on that I don't know about. All I see of her is faithfully here every Sunday, worshipping, calling out God's qualities. And, you know, with with loads of people like that in the church that you can follow. You know, I hear Pam and I hear Fiola laughing. And I know some of the things that they have to deal with. And they are an example to me. And they disciple me in the way that they do things. Because if they can do it, then so can I. So that's my undercover one as well. And then I. Sorry? Yeah, it's fine. I'll tell her, I'll tell her. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, if this is so good, if being discipled is great, then you know, why why do we not seek out people to disciple ourselves? And then I thought, well maybe. Is it because we think we'll never move on from that unhelpful mindset? So it's pointless to try. And guess what? That's a lie. Because, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. I'm reading from Romans 6, 6 to 7 and verse 22. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should be no longer slaves to sin because anyone who died has been set free from sin. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. There's nothing that you are stuck in. You are a new creation, you are a slave to righteousness. So there's nothing that you have to be a slave to. You fix your eyes on God, you hear him speak to you and you look for people in the church who are that little bit further on than you and they will have testimonies to improve your faith and help you move on. Another thing. Maybe you feel intimidated by people who seem to have it more together. than I want to laugh at that one. <laughs> Stephen Wendy Buckland, who we listen to sometimes on a Thursday night, have this thing where you laugh at a lie. And I'm, I'm laughing because I think this sometimes, and then I have to hit myself and think, don't be silly. It's a lie. There's nobody who's got it together in this church. We're all the same. But we have. We have got it together because of God. But nobody's perfect. Oops. Did I go on one? Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We know this verse, but we need to get it inside. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 2 Corinthians three eighteen. For we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. We're all made of clay. Any good stuff you see in us is because God has done it. And therefore, we should be free to learn from each other. And we shouldn't be hopeless. Because if you see some success in somebody's life, it's because they have succeeded in God. And therefore, we can learn from them. Another one. Maybe you feel swamped by life. And you think that you will meet up with that person or deal with that issue when you've got more time. (laughs) <laughs> Guess what? There's never time unless you make it right now. And I thought actually time, I think time is the treasure these days. Matthew 6:19 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I was thinking, yeah, it may not be actual treasures. It might just be time that we treasure up because we are busy. And I do think London, you know, we are under a lot of pressure, public sector workers under loads and loads of pressure, more and more required. Esther was talking, sharing with our group this week about, you know, her working conditions seem to change all the time and they never say, hold up, Esther, have a day off. They never say, do a bit less, do they? They say, do a bit more, do a bit more, do a bit more. But it's worth tackling these things because, because it, you know, we're going to have such joy when we, when we get them sorted. You know, and if I'm not finding people to help me with things, then what am I doing? Well, if you're asking me, I'm probably spending more and more time planning lessons. You know, I could plan lessons for all the time that there is. But it, it's much better to be with God, isn't it? You know, I could be tidying. I could be doing some housework, maybe. I could be watching Bake Off, which is finishing soon. (laughs) You could be watching endless amounts of rugby, gaming, online, whatever it is. Those are all good things. They're not wrong at all. You know, it's good to to have hobbies and to have relaxed times. But it's also good to spend time with each other. And what could be better than spending time with people who've got the words of life? And then I thought, oh, why don't we disciple others? Maybe you feel that you don't have anything to offer, which is also a lie. 1 Corinthians 12, the whole chapter, Paul talks about us being one body and we're all different parts. And actually he talks about the bits that don't have much honour. We ought to give extra honour. So if you're feeling like, you know, small and unimportant, actually you are the most important Because God always turns things upside down, doesn't he? And I thought, well, we can't just go and disciple others. But I thought, hold up. Yeah, of course we can. That's exactly what we should be doing. We should be going out of our way to disciple others, to say to other people, follow me as I follow Christ. Because we can all say that. Like I said, we all have something to offer, but we need to live in front of each other. So maybe by sharing victories. You know, we have a chance to share good news. But if you know somebody's, I don't know, parenting toddlers like you are, parenting teenagers teenagers like you are, struggling with a job, um, you know, having financial difficulties, if you've got a victory, go and tell them about it so that they can be encouraged and, and you can begin to build a bit of a link-up. You know, because actually the other thing about... Being a, um, spending time with each other is, is you can see how people got on. You know, when you said, oh, this happened in my life, you can see how they're doing and, and it's kind of a dialogue. So we need to share our life so that, you know, we disciple people without even knowing it. I am going to tell Diana that she disciples me because I want her to be encouraged. Mm-hmm. A lot of time we don't know how we influence people for good because we don't tell people. So we need to tell people to encourage them, don't we? And we do that in midweek groups meals, having coffee, whatever blokes do, go for beers, football matches, (laughs) don't know. (laughs) Sharing our walk with God. You know, what God has done in our lives will rub off onto other people. And finally, I thought maybe people don't realise how important it is. Now, what could be more important, as Graham Cook says, and he's paraphrasing the Bible, that's why that we're looking at it, you know, is to help people to live from promise, those promises in the Bible, to that stuff being fulfilled in their lives. Releasing people from really tough things that they've had to go through into freedom that Christ always meant for them. To equip people, to heal people, to lead others, to evangelize, to affect the society that they're in. And then you're releasing the church and the environment we're living in, that they can follow God wholeheartedly.